Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Blog Talk Radio. It's January 30, 2022. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where realists for change present opinions that matter. Tonight we're joined by co-host Jeff Brown, and I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Please remember, good leadership is never about power and control, but rather for the honor and privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. Working for a Living is syndicated on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Listen Now, Player FM, and follow us on Twitter. Jeff, are you there? Yes, Leroy, I'm here. Good, good. Hello. Um, yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear? Yeah, you should be able to hear me. Yes. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, good. Okay, good. Well, we have a couple of guests we want to bring on um, uh, here. They're, they're in the switchboard already, uh, and they have their hand raised. That's great, guys. Uh, and, uh, uh, Jeff, you want to talk about how your week went, maybe some stuff. I don't know if you are up to speed on any of the uh, uh, things that are going on at Spring Hill or possibly Bowling Green, uh, but if you want to try and address that, or uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, – judge a little later uh, in Wisconsin, too, so told uh, a uh, worker, the judge told a worker he couldn't quit his job until the current employer uh, hired and trained somebody in his place, so it's rather interesting, so why don't you uh, carry the ball there for a minute, I'll get the guys uh, queued in and, and bring them on here, introduce them, okay? All right. Uh, I'll start with the uh, messages, comments, and emails. Uh, The first one is, thank you again for having me on your show on January 23rd. I always enjoy talking with Jeff Brown and and Leroy. Submitted by PG. Jeff, I want to thank you for being on our show once again. Your comments and compliments are too kind. We always try our best to help our UAW members and retirees. Uh, number two, regarding the new retirees OCT benefit, this has nothing to do with our benefits, and that comes from Gary Lee Simpson. Um, Thank you for your comment. However, this is, in fact, a VIVA benefit. Either you are not trying to bust unions, sniping ignorantly, or a bit too old to be making a Facebook post anymore. But this is a VIVA benefit confirmed by direct call to VIVA itself. Okay, Leroy. Yeah, hi, Jeff. I see you're reading some of the emails there. I'm um, bringing the, mm-hmm. the fellows on here. 
Uh, we're going to introduce them here in just a second, as soon as we know they're fully on the page, or on the show, rather. So um, please welcome to our show, Working for a Living show, our special guest for the night, uh, John Hartwell. He is the Career and Outreach, outreach Representative for the uh, Operating Engineers Local 324. And please welcome Tim Ganton, Business Representative for Operating Engineers Local 324. Welcome, fellas. John, uh, you want to lead it off here and start to tell us a little bit about your experience with the Operating Engineers, and then Tim can come in as uh, you guys get uh, working along there. So I'll, I'll ask yeah. some questions if uh, yeah, I see, see an opportunity to do so. So go ahead, Tim, or John. Yeah, hey. Hey, hey, thanks, Leroy. I appreciate you having us on tonight, Leroy and Jeff. Um, so I'm with the Operating Engineers. Uh, I'm going on my 30th year as an Operating Engineer, and I'll tell you what, I can't imagine doing something better. Um, I came in through, uh, through our apprenticeship program in the, uh, in the early 90s through an application. Um, knew that I wanted to be in the construction industry. Um, Came in through apprenticeship, got a, a, some really good experience on a wide variety of, of job sites, finished up all my training, and uh, went on to be a journeyman. Uh, worked in the field for quite a while and, uh, and came back to, uh, to work for the training center as an instructor, then later as apprentice coordinator, and now as an out, outreach uh, representative. Um, it's, uh, it's jobs like these, it's careers like these, uh, that mean a lot to the state of Michigan, right? Um, we're going to have we're going to have a lot of uh, infrastructure uh, money coming back in to do these repairs that you guys have all seen. What our crumbling infrastructure looks like, and um, these are uh, these are jobs that are going to be here in the future. So uh, very proud to uh, right. to be a member of the operating engineers and have the opportunity to go through that process. What what's the day to day uh, work like for an operating engineer, the kind of equipment they run and stuff like that, John? So what we do is uh, there's there's over 14,000 operating engineer uh, members in the state of Michigan. We do cover the whole state of Michigan. So your day could vary very widely on what you do. We're, we're on projects from, um, from powerhouses, auto plants, uh, road work, bridges, um, uh, all the underground sewer work that you see, it's, it really varies. We're working on the Sioux Locks at this time. We're working on the Gordie Howe Bridge, right? So to get up in the morning, be able to get yourself to your job site, uh, and knowing that we are statewide, there might be a little bit of traveling involved to get to a job. Um, so you get up nice and early, you get to your job site, get your equipment up and running, and each day is a little bit different, right? Um, you might be on a different piece of equipment from uh, cranes to uh, excavators, uh, large front-end loaders, rubber-tired backhoes. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. And that's what I like about the industry, right? You, you don't have to, uh, up, until, uh, up until a couple of years ago, I had no idea what a cubicle was or what an office was, right? You get to work outside. You get to work in all all kinds of conditions, and, and you get to go to different job sites uh, periodically, right? So you don't have the same drive to work all the time. Uh, and the camaraderie within the trades, the uh, the brotherhood system oh, yeah. that we have out there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, almost all my 
Exxon was now, but they're, almost all of them were operating engineers, and one of them actually owned a company, the UNI uh, Pipeline. So, uh, you know, they, they operate backhoes and bulldozers and cranes and all kinds of things. It's a really good job. So um, let's give, let's give uh, Tim an opportunity to come in and say a few words, and then we'll get into maybe a few questions. Hi, Tim. Uh, you want to give us your Hi guys. Uh, good view evening. on the experience? Yeah. yeah. Good evening. Uh, well, um, I'm actually into my 28th year now. I'm a third-generation uh, union man, um, and my, now my son makes fourth. Um, predominantly, I was a crane operator, working all over, all over the country, um, wind turbines in Kansas, Texas, Oregon, New York. And one day, I decided to come back and. Uh, work for the local. I've been a business agent for the last two years now, or two and a half years. And my job now is helping assist members and, and contractors kind of get along and enforce an agreement. So um, you might know my uncle Tim Beckles. He actually got me started down the union road as an iron worker, if you can believe it. And um, my dad wouldn't put up with that. So I slid over into the operators. Uh, my dad's a 55-year member. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a great, great run. And uh, right, yeah, that's all I got. I, I do know you. I do know your uncle, and and one or my first. I came from Youngstown, Ohio, as a lot of folks know on the show. But my first friend uh, in Michigan, I moved to Harrison, was a, a member of the Blackledge family. And they're kind of renowned. I think one of them actually had one arm still climbing the steel into the, you know, 60, 70 stories up, putting steel up, you know. So the Blackledge yeah. family, I guess you, you know, you know I've heard of them coast to coast. Yeah, they've been around for a long time. They're they're close friends of mine. In fact, uh, they're, they're his cousin is uh, Benny. Everybody knows Benny, I think, that's uh, been around steel at all or any cranes. Uh, and he's... You know, just character. So, but uh, uh, you, you mentioned that you can travel around the country with your card. So your card is here at your local, your union card. But uh, Tim, you've said that you can go all around the, the nation, right? Yeah, we're actually a international local. I'm sure I actually got a call Friday from local 793 in Ontario wanting 50 crane operators to come to Canada. But uh, we're, we have, there's a process to do it. You can't just jump in your truck and drive and go to work. You you have to clear in with the other locals. And, um, yeah, it's uh, you get chasing these companies around, and you go where there's work, you know. I mean, you can stay, stay home, and it gets a little tight around the house. And time to pack the suitcase and hit the road, you know. You got to do it for your family. Right, exactly. Yeah. Now, if if you, because um, you're the business agent, so some of this on your side there. Brother Benny calling right now, so I better. That's not on the other phone. So, uh, if you keep your card here, uh, and uh, but if you travel, you can work under your card that's here. But let's say you wanted to make your primary residence. You know, we know some folks from the Blackledge family, Dougie that went out to Las Vegas, and he's out there now and uh, on the ironworker side. 
And uh, I, I don't know if there's cards here or out there, but could you, could you move and operate an engineer card out to Las Vegas and, and work under that same card there? Yeah, you can actually, it has to be okayed between both locals. You apply for a transfer and um, you can transfer. We also do um, reciprocity and travel service where guys, you go to another local and you basically pay them Adobe or they get working dues from you. And then they send everything else back home, you know. A lot of guys like that, too, you know. That way you, the money stays with the man. That's what they call it, you know. Um, but, yeah, you can, right. you're free to travel anywhere. Now, you're, you're, let's, let's talk about pensions. You, you folks still have a pension there in your union, right? Absolutely. We have our, our own pension. Um, right. Some of the other ones pension and, and, uh, and I... I my my understanding, Tim, is that it's similar to the iron workers. I mean, I'm not as, as versed in the pensions of the operating engineers, but uh, it does not coordinate with Social Security, does it? You get full pension and full Social Security. Is that correct? Yep. At, um, well, we change our – when you're 100% vested, like John – I don't know, John can probably go and um, – Five years, 100% unreduced. Yeah. Some guys got to go to 62, some guys 65. I technically could go at 58, but we'll see what happens. Okay. Yeah. So, but my, my, you know, to be clear to the listeners, and a lot of us are UAW members, and our pension is coordinated, you know, from down from 3000 you know, in some cases, you know, $1,600, $1,700. Uh, they cut our pension once we get 62 and um, receiving Social Security. So instead of getting 3000 plus 2000 we're getting 3000 plus, you know, after, well, we'll say 1600 so, uh, or 2000 plus 1600 I'm sorry. Uh, and so your Social Security plus your pensions, reduced pensions. So it's really an advantage to somebody uh, that, that uh, wants to be an operating engineer in the long haul because on the back side of this, uh, the pensions are not reduced. So you live a pretty good life even in retirement because, uh, you know, right now it's about 3000 for the pension-ish, you know, we'll call it, and a couple thousand, maybe 2200 for security. So that's, you know, 5200 a month. That's, that's pretty good living. You know, so mm-hmm. and uh, so that's an advantage for the operating engineers on the backside of this. You know, let alone the, the you know the training and everything. Let's let's think. Let's get back to to John a little bit. Um, John, would you tell us the process to, to uh, uh, apply for the apprenticeship program and what they can expect once they get accepted, and uh, sure, and, uh, all the training and things that's available. You know, that they're going to get. Sure, sure. So. So we offer a couple different apprenticeships, uh, Department of Labor, Labor Registered Apprenticeships. So, so they have some really good meaning, and it's great to get that certificate once you graduate. One of them is uh, heavy equipment operation, right, cranes, bulldozers like we talked about. We offer a three-year apprenticeship program, 6,000 hours in total. Uh, 95% of the time you're out in the field working, making money uh, as an apprentice. Apprentices start out at 70% of what a journey person is going to make. Um, so our average uh, 
on our on our agreements is right around twenty dollars an hour they would be starting out at and then getting another twenty three dollars an hour in benefits on top of that which is your blue cross blue shield delta dental your pension your annuity uh vacation pay so they're making good money to start out then every five or every one thousand hours that you put into the program you get a five percent increase in pay providing you're doing your training which our training can be conducted at any one of four training sites that we have across the state of Michigan. Our largest training facility is out in Howell uh, at 560 acres, and then we have a facility in Detroit. We have one up in the UP in Gladstone and our newest facility in Grand Rapids. So we try and make it convenient for our apprentices and journeymen to come in and, and train. Um, our other apprenticeship program would be heavy equipment technician, which is a mechanic, right? Somebody's got to fix all this big equipment that breaks down. Uh, that is a four-year apprenticeship program, uh, 8,000 hours to complete it, and it starts out basically the same, right around $20 an hour at 70% of what a journeyman makes with incremental raises as you go through the program. Um, there's several ways, several opportunities to get started in these programs. Um, we will do an online application process uh, starting June 6th, and we'll run it through June 10th. Um, so in order to uh, qualify for the apprenticeship and get one of those applications, you could actually go to oe324.org right now and get on a pre-list so we would notify you um, when those applications are available. Uh, an applicant must be at least 17 years of age uh, at the time that they apply. They have to have a high school diploma or a GED, and we utilize WorkKeys test scores uh, as an entry exam to come in. WorkKeys test scores can be uh, obtained at most Michigan Works across the state or some of the community colleges. The good piece is there's a hot link right on our website under applications at the oe324.org that will give you the work at the closest work keys test center to your to you to where you reside and the great part about the work keys is it's uh it's math it's reading for comprehension and it's a graduated test so it'll it it lines up perfectly with what we do so it's not a huge huge obstacle for people coming in and they also have work keys training if you don't get the score that you need and our scores are all listed online um, some of our other routes of entry into the program one of the ones that we're really proud of is if you're a returning uh, veteran in the military uh, we work through a program called helmets to hard hats it's h to h and h to h would get you a direct entry into uh, our process so you would not have to put in an application and we take those all the time um, so two routes of entry we're working on some routes of entry which are through pre-apprenticeship and apprentice readiness programs that you see throughout the state like access for all detroit workforce of the future so that those are uh, direct entry programs also what our what our what we're really trying to do and what we've done is sped up the process for a person who wants to be an operating engineer and have this type of career um, it used to be uh, that it might take a couple of years from the time you did an application to the time that you came in if you do an application in june now 
some of those candidates are, are coming into our program two months later. Um, that's how much the online piece has sped it up, and the Department of Labor has really worked with us good on that piece, too. So there's opportunities out there, and as Tim will, as Tim will tell you, too, um, we don't see the jobs, the jobs, uh, the need for them going away anytime soon with our aging workforce. People like myself and Tim want to retire someday, right? Bring in, Absolutely. bring in a fresh, fresh group. So, right. Well, I think I think Tim's cousin graduated a week ago Wednesday uh, with his dream card. Is that right, Tim? Uh, my actually, I guess he'd be cousin technically, but I call him my nephew, Garrett Nolan. Okay. <laughs> Uncle Tim, <laughs> Uncle Tim's grandkid. Grandson, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, I remember when he started. It was in June, early, early in June, and I think it only took him about because you know you get overtime and stuff, right? So I think it's about two and a half years to to finish his journeyman's card. So um, it, I might stand corrected on that. It might have been longer than that, but it seemed to me about two and a half years. I know um, Tim was real proud, your uncle, that his grandson started the program, and uh, the his first uh, job was over at one of our uh, uh, sister local unions uh, plant, or uh, the uh, Flint Truck Assembly UAW Local 598. That was where his first uh, uh, apprentice work was at. So, um, I, you know, it's kind of nice to kind of follow his career because he put up a lot of those, uh, or helped put them up the, uh, the uh, windmills up there by Mount Pleasant in the South. So, yeah. So, um, so. Let's talk about prevailing wage a little bit. Uh, maybe, well, you, you're both probably well-versed in this, and I uh, uh, would, would uh, Tim, do you want to explain what prevailing wage is? Prevailing wage is, I usually say it's, it's the wage that was set by the union, and that's the game plan everybody uses when they bid a job like schools, um, universities, which we don't have anymore. Um, it, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really. Um, it, it's it's just, important for your wage base, wage right? I mean, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah. it's what the bar has to be at. If you're going to bid this job, you've got to pay a guy, say, 30 bucks an hour. Now these companies can come in on a high school or in 1099 guys and pay them $12 an hour, you know, and our, our union contractors, they can't compete with that, you know. So a lot of these schools are right. not as good as they used to be, you know. And we actually bring the non-union wage up. The non-union guys, you know, I have a cousin who's um, a non-union insulator or abatement guy. And he hates that prevailing wage is gone because he makes less money now. Um, so right. we're trying to get it changed. So, yeah, it takes a while. Though. Yeah, I I happen to know. I mean, this comes up at the state level every now and then. I don't know exactly where it's at. I know they've had some legislation in the last few years. Uh, I don't know if it was passed or not. Uh, I, you know, I defer to you. But I want to address the thing I know about over in Muskegon County. There was a fellow over there, a county commissioner, that was 
driving the uh, Republican-led um, county commission, and they they did away with the prevailing wage in Muskegon County at for all time. Now he's paid the price politically because we got involved. Uh, you know, some of the folks that I know and myself, and we made sure that he he's not going to get reelected. Uh, so. We're going to have to do some work over in Muskegon County to get that reversed because it takes two-thirds vote to reverse county commission action. So, um, but there's people working on this, um, you know, and uh, you know we, we lament a little bit that the uh, trades over in the Muskegon area didn't jump on this guy when this was all going on, and we were all saying, well, where where they at, you know, but. Um, just know that you have a lot of support to keep the prevailing wage in 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 place, because this is, you know, it's very very important in order to make sure that tradespeople in all the trades uh, are able to continue to make the high wages that we deserve for our skilled, you know, your skilled work uh, and our work in general as a union member, you know, so. Uh, I don't know if you knew about the Muskegon area uh, county commission issue or not. Um, I can tell you that um, Ellen Beal and Pete Boschiff, uh Ellen's been on our show. She's an education expert, but she's a long-standing Democrat uh, in uh, Ingham County. Now she's over there in Muskegon County. Um, I'll give out her address, but we visit pretty regularly. Uh, with you know her husband Pete and myself and Pete and I talk on the phone a lot and so we coordinated an effort over there to assure that he was he was gone because he's a real real piece of work over there um, and mm-hmm. you know she was as, as you may or may not know she was a Lansing City Council member uh, elected and a, an elected uh, Ingham County Commissioner at one time as well. So she's a pretty good politician in her own right. But they're working hard over there to make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen. So um, if you can, you know, kind of, you know, push your your brothers and sisters over there in the Muskegon area, I'm sure that that help would be well received there to try and turn Absolutely. that kind of condition. You know, you see how it's important Politics is in everything we do, brothers and sisters. Everything. So, if, uh, so you're you're now aware of that, Tim. So and John. So, uh, if you guys got any friends over there, you know, just kind of give them a nudge a little and say, hey, we got to get this turned back around again, so we have a prevailing wage. Any of this county work, um, just, just one of those things that's out there. Uh, and you know, we yeah, got a lot of Republicans in our with. Go ahead. I just said I'll reach out to our agent. We have an agent that covers that area over there, and I'll see if him and Ellen had made contact in the past. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're they're around. I mean, Ellen and Pete, they're always got their nose in everything wherever they're living at, and uh, and we coordinate quite a bit. So, um, and and she's been a good friend for for many years. I'm going to say thirty plus. Uh, years uh, that we've been working together, uh, you know, I've never been actually elected, but you know, as you know, from behind the scenes, working on a lot of stuff. So, but so that's important. And, and 
you know, as, uh, you know, the, the prevailing wage thing, if you don't have it, all of a sudden somebody's got a bid and a job over, like in Muskegon, and they're, they're paying, you know, $12, $14 an hour as a, and no, no benefits, you know, that, that really undercuts your union. So it's important that we all work as sisters and brothers together in the union movement uh, to assure that all of our jobs are, are in good stead here and making all the money we can and the rules, the rules, the government rules at local, state, and federal are favorable to us unions. So I think that's very important. I just, I'd be remiss if I didn't address the prevailing wage issue, and we're always fighting that thing, seems like. So, yeah. um, so uh, I can't think of anything else that I have a question on. Jeff, you got any questions there for John or Tim? No, I don't have any questions, but I think our listeners should uh, really pay attention to what they're saying because these are good jobs and we encourage people to take a skill change training because uh, auto worker jobs in the plants are definitely going away. So we encourage our listeners to uh, pay attention to what's going on. So they know uh, what to do to get one of these jobs. That's all I got, Leroy. Right. Yeah. To follow up on what Jeff's talking about, the last, the third Friday of August, uh, Elon Musk, the owner of Tesla, came out and introduced uh, a humanoid. It weighs 125 pounds. It can pick up 45 pounds center mass and 10 pounds out to the end of its arms. They're going to perfect this to replace humans that do repetitive, redundant work. So that's many of our... Uh, UAW jobs uh, in the plants. So uh, everybody that's out there, you know, poking around and talking about work to rule and all these things, you better come up with a better plan because the plan is your job's going away and how we best protect work for our members and our children. And this is an opportunity right here that we're presenting with you with the Operating Engineers of Michigan, and they have them, what, in every state? Fellas, are they in every state, John? They are. They are, for sure. The, tra- the, tra- yeah, the training and stuff, sure. Yeah. So there's an opportunity nationwide for you to get your kids or anybody that you think that's worthy to have a job like this. You know, we don't want, a, you know, somebody that's got a substance abuse problem running a, you know, mil- two or $3 million crane with, you know, 100 people around them. You know, that's not, that's not a, a recipe for success. So uh, if you're going to get somebody and, and point them this way, make sure it's a good person, all right? So, John, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no. No, thank you for having us on the show. I appreciate it, and you're exactly right. These career opportunities, um, I'm glad we could present them. Thank you. We're happy to have you here. Uh, we're trying to do some cross-union uh, solidarity here. Uh, you know, we, we do it almost every day anyhow, but it needs to be out public so that there's – and the one thing that uh, Tim's uncle and I discuss from time to time, that we need to present a united front that is seamless, that you can't – the public can't see any cracks in our wall of solidarity. So, uh, you know, there's always something – 
that, that we uh, might dis- have our disagreements, but we need to do those behind closed doors and, and uh, come up with solutions that satisfy everybody. So, uh, Tim, uh, uh, you got anything to add to everything you've said here tonight? The only thing I would add is definitely over the next 10 years, it's, it's looking wall-to-wall work and with battery plants and hundreds of millions going back into these auto plants to switch them over, um, get signed up and check our website out. And we're, uh, we're definitely, all the trades are going to feel a squeeze on having a shortage of workers. So oh, yeah. on the trains is the one that wins. Right. Right. We're featuring operate engineers tonight. We, we uh, really have a lot of affinity. Uh, you know, like I said, my own in-laws uh, were all operating engineers. My own two sons are uh, Finnish uh, German uh, concrete finishers, and they, they were down, like you're talking about, the plants that are going to be coming in. Uh, in the past 10 years, they did a lot of work down there in the flat work on all the auto plants that were built in the south. Uh, so, that, you know, this, this work is similar in, in all, all the other trades, but we're featuring the operating engineers. One of the higher page uh, trades out there, uh, they get a lot of overtime. Uh, there's lots of stipends and things that they get from time to time as well. And a lot of that uh, used to be, maybe not so much now, uh, was a write-off uh, if you were working out of town. Anything over 55 miles, or 50 miles it used to be. I don't know how that is, and I'll defer to other people for that one. Either John or Tim have any thought on that they could even write off their expenses when they're out of town? I anymore I with I mean, the way that the last yeah, president changed uh, change taxes. Yeah. It, like we couldn't even write our mileage off two years ago, you know. So right, right. Well, it's, it used to be called unreimbursed employee business expense, and uh, the former president did away with that. So the teachers now uh, can't write off their taxes, you know, p- pencils and paper that they buy for their students out of their own pocket. And that's just, you know, horrible. And, and of course, as I just indicated, if you had a, uh, you know, a trailer that you took or an apartment that you had to get where, where your job site was, you used to be able to write all that off. So I, I don't know where that's all at now. So, uh, but, uh, well, there's a lot of a lot of benefits, and again, you know, we got a lot of work to do to get a lot of stuff back that we lost in the last, you know, four to, uh, or one to five years ago, with the, the other president that was there. He took a lot away from his brothers and sisters, and you just re- yeah, you might not see it in your, but he took a lot away from us. I'm telling you. So, well, uh, thank you for coming on, John, and uh, thank you for coming on, Tim, Ganton, and John Hartwell. From the Operating Engineers, John is the Career and Outreach Representative, uh, and uh, Tim Ganton is the Business Agent for the uh, UAW, or I'm sorry, uh, Operating Engineer Local uh, 324. So thanks for coming on, fellas, and uh, if you don't have anything else, I'll put you, uh, in, you can listen, and uh, if you uh, uh, want, just hit your uh, uh, one on your screen, you know, on your phone again, and I'll see that you want to come back on and, and address anything, but I'll put you in listen. You don't have to stay at the end of the show if you don't want to. It's fine. Uh, but we really appreciate having you on here and talking about your trade 
and uh, how people can come into it, and it's an amazing trade. I mean, I am telling you, uh, and they get a lot of overtime, and uh, it's highly skilled work. Uh, so thank you for coming on, fellas, and uh, we'll see you around the neighborhood, huh? Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Solidarity, brothers. Yep. Solidarity. You betcha. All right. Okay. Well, there's John Hartwell and Tim Danton, and uh, we we enjoyed having them on the show. Uh, if they have anything else that they want to uh, talk about, uh, they can just hit hit one on their keypad, and it, it, it give me an indication they want to come back and address anything. So, um, but uh, Jeff, you, I don't know where you were at with this. I mean, you, what are your what are your thoughts on? on uh, the operating engineers now that you've got the chance to listen to them a little more? Uh, we we need definitely um, more people to get into the skilled trades. Um, you know, not everybody is capable of going to college, so we encourage uh, folks to, to enter these type of jobs because they're going to be around. Uh, right. They're needed yeah. everywhere. So, yep. yeah, we, be a long, t- a long time before they, they yeah. yeah, long time before they have a robot to run a crane, huh? Right. Uh, well, they, long they time do have that. some plants do have something, um, so it's like I said, auto workers are going to be mighty slim in the future. And that won't be too far yeah. off. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. They just changed the electric cars. They have some plans to simultaneously reduce our workforce, even though they said last week they're going to hire 19,000 new people. I think it was General Motors for the electric plants. But what are they going to do with the existing, you know, normally activated uh, plants where they have right. engines? So those are going to go go away. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun having them on. I really appreciate. It. I, I've met uh, Tim and probably John, uh, but I don't think John knows that. Or well, I probably wouldn't. But he's, he makes all the functions. And I met Tim several years ago at a legislative event for the uh, Michigan Building Trades. I uh, I don't make too many things like that, but I was asked and encouraged to go to it. Uh, and uh, I met Tim there. Uh, and he's a nice, nice, caring union officer, and I really appreciate all he does for for his members and for the members and for all the politics that are out there uh, that we all work behind the scenes to try and finesse things to make sure that we have the very best politicians out there for our membership and hold those people to account once we get them elected. So he's out there doing that uh, nearly every day, uh, if not every day. So I, I was pleased to meet him years ago, and I'm happy to have him again on the show here. And it's all about connections, you know, so uh, we, we appreciate him a lot. So um, uh, I don't know where you got down to the uh, uh, email. On the number uh, three, uh, Leroy. Three? Is it my turn? Number three. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is that, is, is that me? It says you, but I'll, I'll take it. How's that? Uh, I might do three and four. How's it? Because you did the first two. How's that? Uh, 
Yep. Uh, uh, this is uh, regarding last week's show. I loved hearing all of the wonderful information about the diversity and inclusion from PG. Uh, thank you for having her on your show. Uh, many listeners expressed that, and, and uh, of course their names are with, withheld in this instance. The other fellow's name we, we put out there because he was just being stupid. Uh, you know, so, but most of the time we, we withhold their names. Uh, that guy there, the previous email, number two, I think it was, uh, he, uh, he actually said our new over-the-counter benefit wasn't part of our benefit program. And I don't know what he's smoking or drinking, but he's so far out there just trying to snipe at one of my posts out there informing our members of this new really nice benefit of $150 uh, or 50 if you just have the traditional. But it's, it's a real nice benefit. Now, I talked to Aviva about that, so it is part of the benefit plan, and I confirmed that firsthand. So uh, so uh, it's, it's good to hear from the... Uh, the folks on this uh, email that they liked what they heard last week and how they learned about the difference between just diversity and inclusion. And uh, that's, that's very nice to hear from everybody, and we thank you for that. Um, you know, I remind everybody that when you're in the military, uh, you are told on day two that the guy next to you, no matter what color, creed, anything about him, religion, he's going to save his life someday. So you better put all your your, uh, uh, discriminations, you know, leave them at the post, the post gate when you come in and uh, never pick them up again. And some of us have done that and some (laughs) haven't done so good at it. But, you know, when you got your life out there and you're counting on that guy next to you, you better realize that uh, that it doesn't matter if he's black, white, green, Chinese, no knees, or Japanese, you know. So uh, just better respect him and take care of him too, or her. Uh, so this number four, Jeff and Leroy, I know you've been together doing this radio show for almost six years. And the other factory show, 10-plus years, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing many public Zoom meetings and other radio shows. What's going on with that, and are they doing more harm than good being withheld? Uh, and, well, we uh, kind of tell you this appears to be the result of the referendum vote that you all made, uh, we all made, and we all voted, I said, well, not all of us, but... Uh, number of us voted and uh, for the one member one vote and this is the result you're seeing you know as we said on a previous on previous radio shows you can expect some 35 to 50 candidates for each of the 13 positions and not just from Ford Chrysler or Stellantis uh, or GM as uh, we're now a very small part of our union the percentage of uh, the Detroit three is around 14% of our total union. And yes, oftentimes they're doing more harm to the overall union movement than they're doing good. And I'll reference one of the things, uh, maybe two, uh, 
that I saw in the past week or so. Um, uh, that the uh, uh, one of the interviewers had a, a candidate, and the candidate had committed to being a union supporter, and his family being a union supporters and members. So the uh, uh, comment was made admonishing the person uh, about his upbringing in union. And it was an unnecessary admonishment that was off-putting to the candidate visibly and off-putting to the general public that heard that. You can drive more people away if you're doing that. And the other thing is you you got to tell them what we want. You know, you don't let them just ramble out there. One guy made a comment and was, well, you know, I, uh, uh, I want to have treaties that, that require a union in them. Well, first of all, most of the treaties have been already negotiated and signed before two, or 1993 when GATT was signed, December 8th, and that put us in a non-competitive position forever. Um, so the uh, notion that you're going to have too many treaties is not all that big a deal because you're not going to have them anymore. The other thing is if you're going to hold up, you know, monies, trade monies and, and any uh, monies that you might be given another country, and there's a lot of, you know, good and bad about that. We shouldn't be borrowing money to give it to somebody else, right? So. But having said that, uh, if we are going to give aid or trade aid to another country, you got to have a business before you can have a union, right? You just simply can't have a union if there's no company there. What you need is a commitment from the other country to have legislation. So this guy went off on his own little, you know, crusade to have unions in other countries before the cart ever got there. Got to have a company before you can have a union, right? And you can say, you know, you know, governments don't mandate unions. Our own government doesn't mandate unions. We fight with them all day long. You just heard that. So... The people that are out there doing more harm than good ought to really start to run some things by others before they go out there half uh, half informed. There was a couple other things, and I'm not going to get into the minutiae of all that, but that's a couple that are really glaring. We, we don't need to be beating up people that have already committed to be with us, right? So, um, so anyhow, the... Uh, uh, I, I guess I'm just pretty distraught over that because we have a lot of people on here and on our show and over the time we've had a lot of interviews with some of our union brothers and some politicians and others and you know we, we always try to bring out the best of everybody and if the politician is wrong in their thinking it's up to us to make sure 
that they understand the rules. And if you don't understand the rules, you shouldn't be out there in the public forum. It's just that simple. So, um, so I want to uh, let everybody know that working for a living sports our sister unions, as you saw tonight. They locked out steel workers in Texas, the striking mine workers in Alabama, i.e. VEW Local 3 on strike in, in New York. Of course, we have some uh, things going on at Spring Hill. Maybe we'll talk about those a little later, uh, and also at Bowling Green. Um, I must say I'm not up to speed as much on that as I am on the Spring Hill, although I do know a little bit about it. Uh, some of the other caucuses are working with the, with the uh, currently working with the uh, Bowling Green folks, and they're a little more up, to it, uh, up on it than I am. But uh, uh, for now, we'll just we'll talk about Spring Hill a little bit. So, uh, Jeff, you want to get into your, your definition? It's kind of a theme for our show tonight. There, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I can't, I can't. We can't hear you. Yeah. Okay. Cross solidarity refers to the ties that bind people together as one. Theoretically, it is practiced. The two go hand in hand, not only with the individual unions, but also between all unions. It means standing together, brother with brother understanding and respecting the rights of all unions and their members. That's kind of what we did tonight with the uh, our guest. You know, we have, we have right. to stick together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cross-union solidarity. Now, this week's quote, I'll take that, is about cross-union solidarity as well. At the core, labor unions, we are working men and women, unified as one force. Despite any personal differences that, we, that may exist between us, we have banded together to protect and improve the lives of workers. We rise up together for the greater good. We defend one another like family. That's a quote by Sue Kine. Uh, uh, Cross-union solidarity, and we need that a lot. We need it. So. Uh, Jeff, you want to get into your uh, education on the uh, UAW Constitution this evening? Yeah, I'm going to hit Article 10, Section 7, and 9. Section 7, no member of any local union shall be eligible to hold any elective or appointed position in this international union or any local union in this international union if she or he is a member of a subservient to political organizations such as communist, fascist, or Nazi organizations which owes its allegiance to any government other than the United States or Canada, directly or indirectly. Section 9, the acceptance of an elective or a point of office or position or nomination to any elective office or position by any member who is ineligible under Section 7 or 8 of this article is an offense against the union punishable by penalty up to 
including expulsion. It just says that you can't be uh, any organizations, communist, fascist, or Nazi organizations, and hold an office, either elected or appointed. So let's keep that in mind when election time comes around later this year. So we do have a big issue with this. Correct. And Leroy? for those... Uh yeah, I'm here. Uh, for those that uh, might wonder what Section 8 is uh, uh, of the uh, UAW Article 10, Section 8, because in Section 9 it refers to Section 7 or 8. You know what 7 is. You can't be a communist in our union, you know, or subservient in any way to that organization, okay, uh, and uh, directly or indirectly. And you may be, according to 9, uh, punishable by a penalty up to and including expulsion. Okay. So uh, this is uh, uh, an interesting thing, but eight, seven, you know what it is, but eight deals with anybody that's involved with illegal rackets or numbers uh, in the, uh, the plant, uh, involved in that, I guess. It uh, doesn't have to just be in the plant, so uh, you can't hold office if you're if you are a, a part of that, uh, and you can be ex- expelled out of our union for that. Um, so uh, it's it is a serious matter. It is something that is ongoing. There's been an email written that deals with that uh, in regard to some others. Uh, I was a recipient of that email. Uh, passed on to me, and uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, detailed and factual. And there are people that are uh, going to be held to account because this went the original one. Uh, I saw it addressed to uh, president, the overseer of the election committee, or the elections court appointment and the adjudicator court appointed. So, uh, and I think there were some 500 local union presidents, chairpersons, et cetera, on the, on the uh, distribution. So uh, this is widely known, what's going on. And the president of our current international union has to address that. It does not need to come by and through local union action, Article 31, or 33, it can be, it's, it is required to be taken up upon notice of the international president required to take it up and investigate. So we'll see. We haven't heard anything on that this any time lately. So. Um, uh, I want to talk about this stuff that's going on down there in, in Spring Hill. You know, the local union bargaining committee has agreed to allow the the paint system and another thing, I think it's material, to be outsourced to, to, you know, I think it's GM Subsystems LLC for a lot less money. 
and the members down there are all up in arms over it, and they ought to be. This is a function of local union elected leadership. That's the only parties that can agree to that happening. It is imperative that you elect people that you can trust not to do such things and not to bend to the pressures from management, the corporation, and or our own international. We had that at Lordstown. And some other things, by the way. But this this occurred there. Now, somebody come in and made a comment. Work to rule. Well, you heard the international operating engineers on a show earlier. My grand, my father-in-law at the time, he's deceased and been a long time divorced myself from that family, I guess. He used to call it the wobble. Put the wobble on them. Slow down. Okay? Do only what's required according to your job description. And that was in the operating engineers. And then the Region 2 director for Ohio came up with work to rule. And there's people out there today claiming it's theirs. Well, it's not theirs. It was coined as work to rule by the regional director, Region 2, in the 80s, I think. Maybe maybe the 90s, early 90s. And he was kind of forced out. But that's his opportunity. And what that is is, you know, work to rule and do what you're supposed to do according to the job description and no more. Now, I can tell you, I you know, hired in the plant where the sit-down strikes to, were initiated, where they started, and that plant had a, uh, a, a strong adversarial worker management, uh, you know, relationship. And I had, as a young worker, guy come by, slow down, slow down. The whole line slowed down till he got what he wanted. He said, it's okay. And we went back to doing what we were supposed to do, regular, normal stuff. Now, later in my career, me and a young snot-nosed general supervisor were constantly locking horns. And we worked through the Christmas holiday, and we had a set rate, and, you know, order selector driver, where you go up with the order the basket, and you're up there, oh, depending on which truck you had, 20 to 40 feet up in the air, and you got a little small, you know, five foot by sometimes eight foot, but mostly about five foot by six foot platform, the rollers underneath you, where you'd move that truck. And it's dangerous up there. And you go up and down to 
pick parts out of the bins out in the aisle. Well, we were doing 72 through the Christmas holiday, and that's a pretty comfortable rate. And that was about the rate that we had been doing for years. But he wanted us doing 95. So first day after holiday, back in January, uh, I'm doing 72, like I'm supposed to. And the first hour, he didn't say much. And the second hour, he come by and he says, I'm placing you on notice, subject to discharge, or work slowdown, work stoppage. I can just about guarantee that the asshats spewing work to rule have never been placed on notice, subject to discharge, because that's what they're talking about when they tell you that. The guy that's spewing it to all of those folks now spewed it about six years, uh, seven years ago, and he said for people to go out and sabotage equipment as they perform their work to rule. A good union brother by the name of Richard Dick Dangent called him out and said, you're going to get people fired with your bullshit. Stop. And he went away with his tail between his legs and hadn't been heard from since after Dick Dangent died. And now he's cropped up again, spewing his stuff, work to rule around forever and it's usually on the down low when you start posting it on Facebook and then the guy goes back in the plant and starts work to rule and he just was in a conversation with asshat he's going to get fired it's not our job to get people fired Again, there's people out there doing more harm than good, trying to make themselves sound important. Just doing my job, as my assignment was, safely, I was placed on notice subject to discharge for a slowdown. Now, of course... I was a high-level elected union officer, one of the top four in the local union at the time, and the plant came to a stop over that. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for helping out. And my notice of discharge that they were intended to do went away. So be careful of this work to rule. I I, I commend the brothers that come in there and and said, the one brother said, I've been here 38 years, and I've never seen it work. The issue down there isn't work to rule. It's elected union officials that kowtow to management and gave the ship away.
and there's a lot of them out there. Some of them just want to do it for political purposes, change our country from democracy to communism to our members. Be careful who you elect. And that can be no better seen than at Spring Hill, Tennessee, right now. So, uh, I, I got to tell you, uh, we, <laughs> we, uh, we got a lot of work to do, and this one member, one vote uh, didn't help us. And you're about to see that with all the stuff that everybody's doing. They're going to wind up getting half the people fired before it's all said and done. And you can thank, I, you know, I wrote an email about it. You know, how would you like to have 13 elected people that don't know each other some that hate each other, and they certainly won't work together. And our, as we talked earlier, the wall with no cracks in it will be ever apparent on our executive board once we elect a new one. Some that have no experience, don't have a clue what they're doing. Never held office. Never been on notice for discharge, for work to rule. I'd, sometimes I'd like to just slap that guy upside the head. That's what he needs. Wake the F up. Stop trying to get people discharged. He knows who I'm talking about. Arms reach, brother. That box covers the Spring Hill issue and work to rule. I know they're trying to get some, they want to outsource and transfer some stuff around down there in Bowling Green, and I don't know all the particulars, but I wish them well there because, um, you know, we've long talked about the uh, notion that Mary Barris wants to have 80% capacity, capacity utilization and it's well known that the Bowling Green plant is down around and low below 30% capacity utilization, and it's been long thought that they try and do something like this down there. So fighting it is a good thing. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it's one of her goals, you know, to increase capacity utilization at all the facilities. So just be aware, okay, that's going on. And just something that we've talked about, I've talked about with some of our team members over time. Uh, so we all are praised to that. So now you in the general listenership here can also know that. Okay, Jeff, you got any closing comments for our show tonight? We're about an hour. No, I don't. Oh, You're right. What? We had a good show. Okay. And uh, I think the guys, our guests, were really informative. So, oh, yeah. So I got. Okay, I I think well, I'm, I'm real happy that they accepted to come on, 
And, uh, you know, it's, I think they're very informative to our listeners. And as jobs morph and our auto worker jobs start to go away because of these humanoids that we talked about, these, are, these operate and engineer jobs are going to be around for a long time, and they're high-wage jobs. You can go anywhere in the, the world and work with them, as he just said. You got you got fifty guys going to Canada if they can you know work out the kinks on it. So, uh, and that's you know you, again you're working with government. You know you're going to have somebody that's not friendly, or you want somebody that is friendly. You know it's your choice, folks, brothers and sisters. You know you got to you got to start thinking about that. And I'm I'm just saying everybody that we support better be working worker friendly. Okay, and we didn't have that before. And you can all pound salt up your ass to think that it is. It didn't happen. And somebody said out there out loud, Democratic Party's done more damage to this country than anybody else. Well, I beg to differ. we got to pick sides somewhere that's going to be on our side because the damn thing's so divided. And the other side ain't helping us. And you're about to see it. One of the posts I made was it's because of the guys. Well, we didn't talk about that 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 judge up there in Wisconsin. We've got to finish that up, I guess. It's, it's because of people like him and some others that we've seen some bad judges making decisions against us that we need to have worker-friendly governors and presidents of the United States. Because they're eventually going to appoint somebody locally, and you want a friendly person there that gets appointed. And the governors do the appointing for those vacancies at, in the state, midterm vacancies. And, of course, you're now seeing, uh, you know, what's going on at the Supreme Court, and women's rights are being torn apart, workers' rights being torn apart. And we get an opportunity, maybe, to put in a worker-friendly Supreme Court judge. We'll see. We'll see. So this, this judge up there, I want to real quick address this judge in Wisconsin. And, I, it, you know, I didn't commit names to memory, but I'm going to tell you the issue. Young, uh, a worker had opportunity to get another job for more money, you know, more desirable job. And uh, he, he quit put in notice to quit and I uh, was going to go to a new job in a couple of weeks two weeks notice right that's what I was supposed to we've been told to put in he put two weeks notice in and his employer went straight to the court and filed suit for him not to be able to quit and have to stay there until the new the old employer hires somebody and train him so that he can quit. Well, of course, then the job he was going to go to is no, no longer there. They hired somebody else, didn't they? So one of the people in one of the threads said on, you know, on one of the social media said, well, you know, got to sue the judge. Well, judges don't get sued very often, but employers do. For the lost wages... From the time that he was told to until the time he could have quit and went, and for the lost wages after the job is no longer there indefinitely, 
I would believe those lost wages to be sued for. And you see a few of those, and it'll stop that crap. In other words, from the time that he was mandated to stay there, the difference in wages until the employer got somebody hired and trained, but not only that, because the other job is no longer there now, and he affected that in a negative way, the employer did. The employer's now responsible, in my opinion, for the lost wages for all time until the man retires at some point. What happened to be a guy, so I'm going to say man. But it could be anybody with this law, and we don't know if it was a precedent-setting case or not. Again, judges need to be worker-friendly, and they haven't been. I had a, a circuit court judge during court for the VIBA where I was sitting there intervening plaintiff against General Motors, Ford, and then Chrysler, then later FCA and now Stellantis. And the judge looked at me, and he addressed me without saying my name, that the court is what it is today, and it's not likely not going to be friendly to this petitioner, me. Until the makeup of the courts change, you can expect the same back-of-the-hand treatment that you're about to get. And they rule against us. My attorney. They rule against my attorney and myself. The Ford attorney was asked to go, and he said, oh, Ford, Ford attorney uh, is happy to go last. And then he admonished the judge, the, the, the senior judge, for having voted for the salary workers at General Motors in 1996, some 10 years prior to, 12 years prior to this particular case at the circuit court. Admonished the judge for having done that and, and told him in very clear terms, you shouldn't do that here. The Ford attorney said that out loud in open court. Threatened the judge, in my mind. Okay, and it's you, the voters, that can change that. I'm just giving you experiential uh, examples so that you know the shoes I walk in and have walked in. So I hope the young man, I'm going to reach out to him, see if I can catch up with him and tell him to uh, consider suing his employer for all those damages. They are, they are substantial damages, by the way, in my opinion. And uh, we've got some labor-friendly lawyers running around still, so maybe one of them will take it on contingency because it seems... Pierce me and be slammed up. We'll see what happens. 
uh, with that said, Jeff, do you have any comments on, on that? No, that's just unreal, Leroy. Never heard of that before. I shake my head. Judge making people, it's just unbelievable. Well, they are elected. You know, they get elected somehow. Yeah, they get elected. Yeah, or appointed, or appointed. I mean, federal federal mm-hmm. judges appointed, and some of the some of the local, uh, you know, state level judge, judges um, uh, get appointed. The county county, you know, and state get elected. You know, you got you got your district and your circuit and your appellate court and your supreme court. They're all elected, but they get appointed sometimes by the governor and that that you know they never once they're appointed it's next to impossible to remove a sitting judge next to impossible you know i got one i'm going to work on but you know um we'll see what how that goes anyhow uh that's that's enough for tonight i think for our listeners so let's uh let's close the show now and thank you to all the global listeners their listeners in canada and mexico all of our U.S. Union and non-Union listeners, certainly all of our UAW listeners. If you found value in this show, please just tell one more person about us. Have fun. Stay safe in the coming week. God bless each and every one of you. And God bless the United States of America. Good night, listeners. Good night, Jeff. Thanks for being around here. Good night. Good night. Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.